everybody welcome to the 103rd edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling in southern oregon um i'm a man of my word bro last week i said if the blazers win all the games are supposed to which is three games straight i would be a positive optimistic boy on this podcast and that's what i'm gonna do you can't, you can't, you can't make me be negative. The, the, it is my decision, so I'm going to be positive about how uh, great our Portland Trailblazers played. I just don't know how you could see that schedule and not think they're going to go three and zero. I yes, was feeling this, myself. This is the Trailblazers. I was I, I'm completely myself. aware of that, but I think I think we tweeted it out from the Holy Backboard Twitter even during. It was either the Pelicans or the Timberwolves game that, yeah, we're losing these games, but we've got three winnable games at home. And one of them, the most difficult one, the Indiana Pacers, was going to be without Miles Turner. Portland was going to find a way to get it done. And all of a sudden, Sage, are we a home team now? We're riding that Rip City roller coaster. We were away from home team. Now we're a home team that does work. I, I just would like to see some consistency from our guys, but hey... We've got we got our three wins. We did what we were supposed to do, and I mean, looking at this Western Conference, three through eight is oh three through nine rather is just so staggered together. So we have to win games we're supposed to win. And Portland has won six in a row at home. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia, Atlanta, San Antonio, Phoenix, Indiana, and Dallas. Yes, that's not Murderer's Row. That's not going to redefine the the outcome or the the direction uh, of the Trailblazer season, but it's tough to win six home games in a row. I mean, this is a Blazers team that was losing to the Denver Nuggets without Paul Millsap. They were losing to the Toronto Raptors without uh, Valanchunas and Ibaka. They lost to the Brooklyn Nets at home. They lost to the Los Angeles Clippers on a last-second shot when they could have locked it up. So they have done the unthinkable and lost games that they should have won. So this is the first step in the right direction for this team, and at the moment, they are 25-21 and 21 in the sixth seed out west, but as you mentioned, three through nine is really up for grabs. You have Minnesota at three, at 30 and 18, and you have Denver at nine, at 23 and 23, only separated by, by five games in the loss column. Portland, uh, specifically, is three back of third in the loss column and two back of ninth in the last column as well. So 46 games into the season, Sage, 36 more to go. This race is far from, from being finalized. Mm. I, I've really enjoyed watching the Clippers play. Like, it's weird. All of the other teams ahead of them have way more talent. But it seems like when you are the coach of a team with less talent... You can get that team to buy into the culture of working hard and playing like every possession legitimately hard. And you see, you see teams like New Orleans, for example, that like Boogie Cousins doesn't play every possession hard. But when you have less talent, like, and that culture of winning, 
that team's playing hard. So I like I could definitely see the Clippers taking Denver's spot. So of the of the seven teams vying for a playoff position, the three through nine that we talked about, which team at the moment and which team in April do you think is most vulnerable of being left out? Are we including the Jazz? Because I think that's just the easy answer. No, they are not included. Okay. This is the team's three through nine right now. I'd have to say Denver, maybe? Just because they've been dealing with injuries. The injury bug can attack anybody, but it seems like they've been decimated with injuries. Paul Millsap's wrist, and he's out for months. Jamal Murray just got a concussion, so they've been dealing with injuries. I mean, Jokic hurt his ankle. They've, They've been pretty unlucky, and if that continues, that might be the team that gets left off because it sure is, we aren't losing our spot because I, I just i just think that we got too much talent to at the very end be sitting on the couch at home yeah i think minnesota san antonio complete locks okc barring any injuries or irrational trades they're a lock i think you look at portland and new orleans uh in the case of portland they've made the playoffs uh the last few years they've got one of the best leaders in the game and they seem to finally look like they're coming into some form of a consistent mm-hmm. team. Uh, and then you also have your New Orleans Pelicans who have the best starting front court in the NBA. And when you're talking about teams, 500, maybe a few games above, it's going to come down to who has the best players. Mm-hmm. Maybe not Talent. the best roster, but the best players that can get you a bucket when you need it. So I feel pretty confident about those seven teams making the playoffs. It comes down to Los Angeles and Denver. Right now, I would say, like you said, Denver's probably the most vulnerable. They're dealing with uh, the biggest injury and Paul Millsap. They do not have a point guard, which in today's NBA is so vital. Mm -hmm. And the Clippers are getting it done without Pat Beverly. Uh, They they have Milos running the ship, but Blake has been able to initiate uh, the offense from the power forward position. But if you were to ask me which team is most vulnerable come April, it has to be the Los Angeles Clippers because who is going to win out? You know, Steve Ballmer, like all owners, wants to win. He does not want to make trades for the future. And I'm certain other people in the organization are saying it's not our time. We are nowhere near a playoff contender. We have our second best player in DeAndre Jordan, who has a player option, who could leave us for absolutely nothing. And Lou Williams is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year as well, who is maybe the hottest player in the entire league. He's been balling, bro. And with that in mind, I think, I mean, this is the Clippers we're talking about, so I am making a giant leap of faith. I think Rationale will win out in the end, and they will have to move DeAndre. They will have to move Lou Williams. And come February 8th, they may not have those guys, Sage. They may have a couple of draft picks and maybe some young players to show for it. And that's going to knock them out of contention, in my opinion. I just don't see how they could possibly keep that team together. I mean, you we always talk about buy low, sell high. Everyone talks about that. In the case of Lou Williams, I can't think of a, of a hotter prospect right Absolutely. now. A hotter trade chip. You've got to cash that chip in. If you don't. Uh, I think you're going to look like you have egg on your face at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's he, he's putting up 25 a night and sometimes 50 a night. Like, 
he he has free range to do whatever he wants, and he's getting those numbers. It would behoove them to try and get some value for him, just because. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a Clippers fan, but like, I don't think he's going to stay with a team that you know is fighting for it. I think he wants to help a team, you know, win a chip. And Jerry West is no dummy. No. So you look at him as the man in charge taking those GM duties away from Doc Rivers. He's not going to buy into the flash in the pan. I'm not saying Lou Williams is a flash in the pan, but there's there's no way he's going to be able to keep this up. I mean, he's been in the league since 2005. He's always been a streak scorer. I mean, he's been a great super sub off the bench winning a sixth man of the year uh, a few se- few years ago. But what he's doing right now is playing out of his mind like what Nurkic did when we had him for those 20 games over the the spring uh, of 2017. So I just think the Clippers are going to have to make those moves. And if you were a Clipper fan or if the Blazers were in their position, you would want to see them deal those guys away as well. I bet you can get a pretty penny for a, a, a athletic center who can rebound really well, play defense. But... Th- the trade deadline is pretty close, and you've been sending me some trade machine, ESPN trade machine things. What are some trades that you would like to see Rip City do? Yes, the trade deadline is February 8th. We are recording on the 21st of January, so we are less than three weeks away from, I would say, a top three day of the year. Of the Dustin calendar, it goes Christmas Eve, draft day, trade deadline, any order you want, those are the three best days of the year, hands fucking down. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no debate. I am like a, I am like literally a kid on, on Christmas Eve on those two days. Productivity at work, little not, little like non-existent <laughs> if your boy's keeping it a hundred. Absolutely. Um, let me let's be real here. We're, we're checking Twitter. We're, we're oh, seeing, absolutely, Dad. I mean, I, I, I told you the story a few weeks ago how I had to stop a meeting because I accidentally read a Bill Simmons fake trade proposal that the Blazers got Marcus Gasol and geeked out before I realized that it was just one of those you know clickbait articles. Think if that actually really happened. I'm, I might be shutting the whole office down. I might be getting on the Slack and saying, "Alert, alert, alert! Your boy's gonna just be out in Twitter sphere for a while." Maybe take an extended lunch. <laughs> I mean, it, it's gotten to the point, though, for on like draft day, I'm already saying, guys, uh, you know, I'm leaving at two or I'm taking a half day, putting that half day PTO in because, you know, I'm I'm geeked. I need to hear the rumors. I need to get ready for the picks. Like, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Got to get comfy <sighs> on the couch. Get the get the laptop right next to you. Oh, and man, there is nothing worse than a draft or a trade deadline letdown. Mm-hmm. There is nothing worse. You get hyping like the the best deals. Like Kyle Korver was moved from the Hawks to the to the Cleveland Cavaliers for cash considerations and a second round draft pick. Man, fuck that. I want to see stars get dealt. Like that's what keeps the NBA so entertaining is the player movement. And there have been already a few big names that have been circulating around uh, the league. Um, we mentioned DeAndre. We mentioned Lou Williams, but Woj put it out there that Kemba Walker. Might be on the market for Charlotte. Seems like Charlotte's basically taking everybody on the roster and putting it up, putting up for sale. But we've already seen Eric Bledsoe get moved this season. The big question, I think, is what's going to happen with the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Cleveland Cavaliers. OKC is in our conference, in our division. We're already two games to, to zero in the season series with them. 
but they are in what I would like to call a pickle because I can't remember the last time a star player under contract has been so vocal about his desire to play for another team. Can can you think of another star player who maybe Carmelo Anthony when he was with the Nuggets going to, to the Knicks? Like this Paul George to the Lakers stuff has been going on for what? 12, 18 months? I might have been over. I mean, because, you know, I am a horn. I mean, I'm, I'm a Pelicans and a Blazers fan. I, I I remember being a like when Chris Paul would talk about like, I'm at the garden right now on Twitter, like New Orleans Twitter would just go crazy about it. So I, I, I know the feeling when you're when your superstar is thinking about another city. So are you thinking Paul George to some other team? I think if you're Sam Presti, you already rolled the dice pretty big. Mm-hmm. I mean, you gave up Oladipo, you gave up Ennis Cantor, you gave up Sabonis, you gave up a lot of heavy hitters on a team that really wasn't that deep to get Carmelo and Paul George. And they just put up 148 against a, a struggling Cleveland roster. But if you're Sam Presti and you make those moves wouldn't it feel a little counterintuitive mm. to sell Paul George right now? Oh, that'd be such I mean, a huge bummer for your like self-esteem, bro. And you just inked Westbrook long-term. I honestly think if they finish, I don't think they're going to catch Minnesota or San Antonio. Yes, I, I see a two-game difference in the loss column right now. Actually, they may catch San Antonio if Kawhi Leonard continues to stay on the shelf because he cannot seem to get right. And they're losing games more frequently than they have in the past uh, without Kawhi. So they could get home court advantage. I would probably pick them to upset the Spurs. They just have more overall talent. You know, if they put up a good fight against like a Golden State or Houston, I could see Paul George sticking around. I don't think the Lakers are that big of a draw anymore, Sage. It's kind of a shit show down there with with Lonzo and LeVar and Luke Walton. And, you know, every three minutes it's something. And, you know, they're going to lose. It looks like Jordan – or not Jordan Clarkson. They're going to lose Julius Randle. And they've got Brooke Lopez who's going to be expiring. And it seems like they made this big push to get all this cap space in 2018. And to be honest, I don't see DeMarcus Cousins leaving for Los Angeles. Um, my money would be on him probably re-upping with, with New Orleans, especially if they make the playoffs. And then you've got Paul George, who can make the most money in OKC. I think gives them a bigger and better chance at winning and contending. And now you've got LeBron, who has expressed interest in playing possibly for the Houston Rockets. I mean, he's been linked to a couple other teams. The Lakers aren't that sure bet that everyone said they would uh, that they would become. Because that roster is just not even close to being ready. Mm-hmm. And if you've got Paul George in his prime, LeBron probably a little bit under his peak, but still the king of the hill, you're not going to Los Angeles. You're not going to so, a 21 team. Exactly. So if I'm Sam Presti, I keep him. I try to make those small moves. Mm-hmm. Find a guy like Robin Lopez. Find you those role players. They're going to mesh and fit perfectly with your big three. Like you made that bed. Now you have to lay in it. So I think that would be um, a big shocker if they moved Paul George. 
But I think it's really all going to come down to the Cleveland Cavaliers because they have assets. You know, they have that Brooklyn Nets pick. And it just, for whatever reason, hasn't worked out for them. I, I remember they started off the season slow. Then they took the league by storm. And now they're kind of on their own roller coaster now on, on a down spiral. And they just don't look like they give two shits right now. They are 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games. They don't protect home court necessarily well. They're a sub-500 team on the road. And I think they might be that first domino that falls. Who are they going to go out and acquire? Are they going to make this Brooklyn pick you know, available? There's that whole subplot between LeBron James and Dan Gilbert. Is Dan Gilbert going to trade that pick to appease LeBron James? Is is you know LeBron James going to put that pressure on Dan Gilbert to do it? There are just so many out you know outside factors that could really go into this deadline, and there are players to be had. But I think it comes down to Cleveland thinking: Does the team we have now can we beat Golden State? They haven't beat Golden State at all this year, and I would not bet on them to take down the defending champs either. So they have to really weigh their options. Is it worth going all in with with LeBron in maybe his final year in Cleveland? Because this could be your last best chance for decades. I mean, Cleveland sports fans are, are cursed. I mean, they do not get shiny things. They were lucky they had LeBron and they came back 3-1, which was a major miracle. So would you go all, I mean, we've talked about this before on the podcast, Sage. Would you go all in with, with LeBron? Absolutely. Because of the or transcendent would, yeah. talent. You're not going to get another LeBron. You're not going to get a player that has that emotional tie to the city and the state. So if I was the Cleveland Cavaliers, I would do everything I could to keep him. Maybe that chance that, you know, he wants to stay an Ohio boy. I would do everything I could. Maybe. Maybe LeBron could talk himself into, uh, you know, trading for a very emotional but very talented European big that plays for. Uh, I don't think Nurk's got that type of clout around the league, but I'm kind of in ag- agreement with you. You were never going to have another LeBron James. There's never going to be another LeBron James. We're talking about the second greatest player, in my opinion, of all time. And you have a chance to go to the finals for what? the fourth or fifth year in a row with this guy, with this team, if you can find a way to get a guy like Mark Gasol, who, mind you, has given Golden State fits. They do not have a big body down low that can mess with a back-to-the-basket true center. And he's unselfish. And he plays defense. And he can shoot threes. And it would make LeBron uh, play off-ball and cut and do all that stuff. And Mark Gasol could hit him on baseline cuts, and I think that'd be very dangerous in the league, just to have LeBron just off-ball attacking. And newsflash, Brooklyn ain't that bad. 18-29, and 29, I think they have the 7th or 8th worst record in the league, and they have no reason at all to tank. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep that in the back of your mind if you're thinking about keeping that pick, because to be honest, it's like a five-player draft. I mean, it's pretty good depth, but it's really five good players. Are you really willing to die on that hill to say, I want one of these five players and LeBron can, you know, go walk off into the sunset. We'll take our chances against the the Warriors and just pray we can pray we can get it done when you have a chance right now. Usually I'm a guy that's a long term guy. But for this situation, this transcendent of a player, time is now. Mm -hmm. So. 
I know that you want your boy Wesley Matthews on the team again. Is that the number one trade target for the for the Blazers in your opinion? So I, I was sending you, you know, a couple yeah. of ESPN trade machine proposals mm-hmm. th- this afternoon, and I think I read it somewhere, maybe on Sports Two, that Mark Cuban was interested in Myers Leonard, maybe Mo Harkless. It could have been just a bunch of bullshit, but. <laughs> <laughs> Your boy took it and ran with it right to the trade machine. And if if we're able to offload Mo and Myers and, you know, maybe throw in a guy like uh, Pat Connaughton, maybe maybe Swanigan to, to sweeten up the deal to get Nerlens Noel, who is a restricted free agent, who you would just um, not sign in the offseason, and Wesley Matthews, who has one year less on his deal than guys like E.T., Mo and Myers. Portland would really only have one shitty contract on the roster, mm-hmm. but it's a very, Turner. it's a very shitty, it's a very shitty contract. And as we saw, Wesley Matthews can still get it done a little bit. He was seven of fifteen for twenty three points, five boards. Uh, really put a scare into Portland late in that fourth quarter with, uh, I think it was back to back triples. Mm-hmm. So he can still be a marksman, especially off the bench when he's not asked to do Everything. a whole lot. And I think more often than not, he just provides those intangibles. He's going to be a great locker room guy. He's not going to allow the guys to to dog it or half-ass it if that ever occurs. I love that. I mean, I think one of my favorite moments of that Mavericks game was when he got frustrated and bounced the ball. Like, just because he was pissed off at himself. Like, that type of passion, I think, would do really well on this team. Just a guy to motivate all of our talented players to, you know, hustle. This These games are important, especially in this crowded Western Conference. My favorite part of that game was when Salah Mejri locked up Nurkic. And Nurkic was like, dude, get off of me. Like, this injury, obviously, is what Kelly Olynyk did to Kevin Love. It knocked him out of the playoffs in, in 2015. And, you know, E.T. came to... Uh, Nurk's defense and Mejri completely flopped. It was, a, it was a blatant flop. Like a fish out of water. And Mejri is completely taken out of the game mentally. He is barking at fans. He's barking at anybody who'll listen to him. And Wesley Matthews was over there because he was getting two free throws. Uh, Mejri was. And he was telling him, block out the noise. Block out the noise. Do not pay attention. And what does he do? He goes and barks to Ed Evan Turner and Wesley Matthews kind of turn around and just like kind of like you just see him size like I don't know what to do. Mm. Like you could tell he's like I'm 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 ready. Like I'm ready to move on most likely. And you know obviously I'm paraphrasing for Wesley and how I interpreted his actions, but that's the type of leadership you need is when your guys go in AWOL, you need somebody to step in and say, you know, calm down. Mm. There's bigger things at hand. So Wesley was not the number one target for you? No, I'm looking at teams where we can shed just a year of salary off. Mm. You know, do I'm sure there's a value out there for Myers or, or Mo somewhere. I mean, $10 million a year, as you know, I, I know Blazer fans like to think the world is ending with those two contracts. It's not the end of the world. $10 million in today's market is just probably for an average player. It's 8% year, of the contract. And after this year, it's only two years. That is not a long-term deal whatsoever. So when I look at a deal, I look at where Portland has a lot of overlap. We have a lot of players in the front court. Mm. We've got Vonley, we've got Swanigan, Ed Davis. 
Zach. Who, Zach, I mean, they're not moving Zach, but yes, I, I definitely there's um, overlap there in terms of skill set and, you know, height and strengths and weaknesses. And we also have some free agents. So can we really afford a Pat Connaughton in, in the offseason? So, if you know, could, could we add that in as a sweetener to maybe shed a, a year of salary off? So I'm kind of just taking that in, into consideration when I, I look at trades, but I definitely think Neil will do something. Some something's up. Ed Davis is getting a lot of playing time, which means either we want to keep him, or that means he's being shopped. Noah Vonley is not playing whatsoever anymore. He's racking up a ton of, you know, DNP coaches' decisions. That could be to showcase Ed Davis, or that could mean to reduce Noah's value so we could re-sign him in the offseason as a restricted free agent on the cheap. So there are a lot of games probably being played that nobody has any idea about behind the scenes. And really, we just have to sit back and wait. But I think the front court, and if you want to include Mo Harkelson there, those are got to be some guys that definitely have to be high opportunistic guys that could possibly be moved. Because when, when I'm thinking of what the Blazers need, I think it's a, a wing that has at least some creativity so he can get his own shot, maybe some defensive uh, versatility, but just a competent three. Is that what you're thinking when you make these trades, or are you just trying to find value? Or is there an archetype that you're looking at that would really help the Blazers uh, in regards to this playoff push and maybe even the future? When looking at these deals, I always start with what I'm willing to offer. So if we're not putting up a CJ McCollum or if we're not putting up a Yusuf Nurkic, you have to really temper your expectations of what you're receiving. Like this isn't 2K. We're not turning the trade over right off. You know what I mean? Mm. So if I'm putting up guys like like Mo and Myers, it's to see, oh, can we shed a little bit of salary? If we're talking about adding a role player, then I really want someone who is going to be able to come in off the bench and provide offense. We have just seen inconsistencies from this team from the starters and from the bench but it seems like when Shabazz gets minutes he's becoming a consistent force off the bench you know what you're getting from Ed Davis off the bench Zach Collins is getting there Mm -hmm. he's never going to be a big scorer but he's starting to be a little bit better of a defender he's rebounding the ball pretty well he's pretty skilled he has a lot of skills that he can back up on. Like I can see him throwing some high low passes to the to, to the posting up big man. Like he has some skills that even in this limited role he can utilize and be a nice big off the bench. You know, you got Pat Connaughton, despite starting off um slow, hit two pretty big buckets uh against Dallas and has just shown so much more confidence in his shot selection. What we miss is that that extra wing. We do not have a prototypical backup small forward with Mo Harkless kind of being on on the sidelines at the moment. So I just want somebody who's going to be consistent, someone who preferably is probably a vet, has been through the ropes, can provide some locker room. I don't think the Blazers need anything drastic as a locker room presence but you know when dame talks there's got to be that vet back there that's like yeah like i'm all on board like when he speaks we listen and we follow through 
So that's where I think Wesley Matthews is almost the perfect perfect type of guy. He's my architect. Hard-nosed defender. Hates to lose more than he likes to win. And is a, is a specialist. He's a marksman. That's what, he's, that's what he does, and he doesn't play outside of his skill set. So I think Portland needs to really look at those type of players. And then last but not least, if you can get a guy of an all-star caliber player who is low on value, you attack. Mm. I would not mind one bit if we went after Kemba Walker. Let's play Shabazz, Kemba, Damon, CJ, and Nurt. That's our five. <laughs> Small ball. Defend that. Let's go. So that's what or I'm saying. Because they, yeah, you you would definitely have to take Batum back in a deal yeah. like that. So absolutely. Try to it's just like the draft. Best player available. We're Portland. We do not get free agents in the city. Mm-hmm. We either draft or we trade. And if you trade and you can boost their value back up or they play well enough that you're able to trade maybe one of your other good assets, you're able to help out other aspects of your roster and it just takes another step. You know, instead of saying, oh, we need this 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 great wing, we may not have the assets to go find that great wing, but if you have the assets to get a guy like Kemba Walker, a guy like Kemba Walker could maybe down the road get you that player. Yeah, get, or a, CJ, get us that wing. Or CJ could get you that wing. So it's it's all about thinking long-term. It's finding players who are going to fit your system, finding value. Can you shed salary? I think whatever Neil does, he should not attach a first-round pick to something that doesn't provide value. So that means no salary dumps. And I think you have to feel like you really won the deal. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds like, are you serious, Dustin, right now? Yes, because we've made a lot of trades where it's like, oh, I don't know if we really won that deal or not. Mm-hmm. Like if you're making a, a plumbling and you're getting a first and Nurk because Nurk was a potential good big. As soon as I saw that trade in the car stage, Olga told it to me. We were driving to Astoria. I was so jazzed. I knew we won the deal yeah, right there. Yeah, I mean like the the sunk cost type of uh, trade where – that guy is just uh, going to be what he is, and if he had the opportunity in the role, he can turn into a Nurk Fever or something a useful player. You know, when we traded Barton, Robinson, Claver in the first round pick for Aaron Aflalo, it was like, prob- it was necessary at the time, but you're like, I, I, I don't know if we really won that deal. So you, you get feelings initially right after a trade. And I think with this roster, how tight the West is, with how shaky and maybe hot Neil's mm-hmm. seat he is right now. He has to win these trades. He has to win Absolutely. all negotiations. I mean, Rip City is not happy with him. And unfortunately for him, there are only 30 jobs. So this is a damn rare job for him. So he has to try his best to make this team as successful as possible for you know currently and any prospects later you don't want to be the guy that was that took talents like cj and dame and just made them mediocre that's not good for his future uh earnings so he has to win all of these trades and i definitely agree that we need a vet that has been some some frame of success uh, like when you talked about trading for Rodney Hood, I, I was thinking about man, a vet like Joe Johnson, the guy that can make it manufacture his own shot, be the vet. That might be more interesting to me just because of the value he adds. And I mean, we got shooters in the second unit. Having a guy that can break them down and then c- 
cause uh, cause the defense to react is going to be good for Pat Connaughton. It's going to be good for uh, Shabazz when he's spotting up. I mean, you hit the, the nail on the head. We need that guy. Mm-hmm. Like a Joe Johnson, who you would be very nice. And don't don't forget, we have that trade exception from the Allen Crab deal. It's humongous. So we, we- it's over $12 million. Mm-hmm. The one thing Neil cannot do is make a trade just to make a trade. If we stand pat, fine. Let's be patient and let's ride out these contracts because the sun will rise another day and we'll be in good financial shape soon enough. We just can't continue to dig ourselves a hole by just doing something to do something. Absolutely. I mean, it has to have some forethought in it. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that uh, Paul Allen hasn't like had someone overseeing the moves he's made just because he is on thin ice and he could totally be petty. Do we really know if Neil was on thin ice? I mean, the perception of Rip City is yes, but in reality, we don't know what uh, is happening in it in those business meetings in the the Rose Garden. No, we have no idea. But I mean, but I feel like- for me, he messed up in sixteen, and he's still trying to make up for that that devastating summer. I just feel like especially with the Blazers fandom, that you're hot one day, get the fuck out of here the next. Oh, yeah. I, I remember when people were saying Neil could do no wrong a few years ago. Now it's, he can't do anything right. So, I, I mean, I, I've seen it, bro. There's definitely... It's going to be interesting to see who, who leaves and who stays. Because I, I, I just don't think those two can... A lot of stuff has been aired out in the media. I don't think those two could possibly work together unless we go on a Which humongous uh, Terry and Neil. Unless we go on a humongous winning streak. Because that might fix everything. I feel like, you know, I've been a fan. I've been around the block and I remember the, the Jailblazer era and I remember hearing everything that was in the papers back when the internet really didn't exist. I, I don't feel like the seat's that warm. On, on Twitter, people are, are upset, but I don't see a lot of the articles that usually come with a, a hot seat. You know, there was that one that Canzano brought up. And again, this is Canzano, who really not the most reputable source around It's not Blazer. a name you can trust. Yes, most Blazer fans do not trust that name. And that was quite a while ago. Maybe that investigation is still ongoing or they're digging into research, research but... I, I would have a hard time believing that Paul Allen would send other people to do research when he sits there every single game and he can see Terry Stotts. He knows what moves Neil's doing. They're probably in constant contact. So, I don't know. They just gave Neil a contract extension. I think Terry's locked up for uh, another year or so. I think it's just a case of expectations. Expectations are a motherfucker. So do you think for sure a trade happens? 85% trade happens. Yeah, I'm 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 kind I'm I'm sort of there as well. Um so we did win 3 games. What were some moments that stood out to you uh in those 3 games, those 3 wins? You know, Dame was damn near perfect against Dallas. I think he started out 9 for 9. He had 31 Nine assists, five boards, uh, seven of nine from downtown, 10 of 15. You know, he was interviewed after the game, and Brooke Olsendam asked 
when did he know that he was in a groove? And he said, as soon as I came off the screen and let my first one go, it was a tough shot, but it felt good and it went in. And he's like, I had a good warm up, a good pregame shoot around. And sometimes that's all it takes. But Dame and CJ were both very effective. Mm. CJ put the dude Yogi Ferrell. I mean, RIP. That's another victims unit uh, for CJ McCollum to add to the list because he dropped him pretty good on that cross. He had 26 points of his own, four boards, and they combined for 57. That's what we fucking need. Yeah, that- we need it, it's it's no surprise. You need your best two players to play well, and good shit happens. Age. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not rocket science. It, it it's. I mean, Dame being so... I mean, he ended up the game going 10 for 15 for 31. But what I liked about it was when I saw Ed Davis get 10 rebounds off the bench, I mean, Pat Connaughton was... You know what? He was shooting. He went two for six, and that expands the... the like, his shot gravity, his gravity on the court adds... Uh, helps, I mean, Dame and CJ cut, like... The the guys that actually came off the bench, those eight. I mean, Zach did. Uh, Zach tried, but like Shabazz, uh, Ed Davis, and Pat, they contributed. And when we have eight players contributing in their own way, we are a damn tough team. And you know what? I brought up Dame just for the Dallas game, but he was really amazing over that entire three game stretch against Indiana. He had twenty six. Eight assists, five rebounds um, against Phoenix. He had 31, seven assists, uh, five rebounds on 11 of 19 shooting. Um, other things that stood out to me, Nurk looked mm-hmm. really, really strong against Indy. Uh, 19 and 17, uh, two blocks without Miles Turner. You know, we talked about that on, on text before the game. Would he step up against a team that he really should dominate against. You know, Al Jefferson and Sabonis really are not defensive uh, presences down low, and he really took advantage of that. And then lastly, I would say Portland handled business. It, mm-hmm. None of the games, in my opinion, were really up for grabs. You know, the final scores will say 118-111 over Phoenix, 100-86 to over the Pacers, and 117-108 over the Mavericks, but none of those games I felt we were going to lose. Phoenix, we had them by the throat, and we kind of let up a bit, and Booker hit a lot of shots that he's probably not going to make every single game. But again, that game was never in doubt. We were up uh, 20 points going into that, that fourth quarter. You look at the Indiana Pacers, Portland puts the hammer down after being tied after three quarters. They outscored them 26-12. to and then Dallas, yeah, they're Rick Carlisle coach team. And I kept telling Olga, it's like these guys won't die. They won't go away. You know, they're just so resilient. And that's true. They were. But you knew they just did not have the, yeah, horses, they didn't have the horses to 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 run with us. So that's what I was most impressed with is, yeah, the final scores may not be indicative of how dominant Portland was, but they were. They handled their shit like they should against three teams that came into their gym and they protected their house. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to see moving forward. And, and they answered all of the Mavericks run runs with a run right back to them. Like if Dallas got it to 12, they would push it back to 20 pretty quickly. And I mean, 
I, I watch the games without any uh, sound on just because Kevin Calabro is a, a special announcer. And when I first saw the, the flop, uh, I saw Nurk swipe his arm and push him. And I was like, oh, no, this could this could be the momentum changer. And it wasn't. It wasn't. They answered back because the Mavericks were dealing with a bunch of emotions as well. So I'm. I'm the crowd was loud. Oh. I think it actually helped us. Oh, really? Oh, it was deafening in there. Like, it was so loud. It, it kind of so felt like a playoff atmosphere when you were watching it on the game. Like, this game matters. Like, oh, yeah, it's the Mavericks, and they're not record-wise good, but we have to handle biz against this team. So I was pretty proud of that 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 game, as well as the three games where we just were like, the far better team. So that put Portland at 25 and 21. They are better at this point in the season than they have been the, the previous two seasons where they both made the playoffs. However, the elephant in the room for in Rip City is, will Damian Lillard be named an all-star reserve? And we discussed how well he had played over that three-game stretch. He couldn't be playing any better basketball if we asked him to. And over the course of 39 games, he's averaging 25.2 points, 6.6 assists, 4.8 rebounds. He's doing that on whew, 43% shooting from the field, 36 from three-point land, and a staggering 92% from the foul line, and also chipping in a steal per game while basically being the face of the franchise and putting everything on his shoulders. To me, it's clear he is one of the 12 best players in the Western Conference. Mm -hmm. Do you do you think he's going to be named an All-Star Reserve? I think year? he's going to be the wild card. Because uh, there not there two wild cards that can go either to a post player or a guard? I think he's getting that. I'm get, I think he's going to get the 12th or 11th. He has been playing better this season than any other time I've I've seen him. And it's because he's focusing on playing defense. And he's contributing, getting rebounds and stuff like that. But like the way he actually tries. And there were times last year where you could totally see him not giving his full effort. He is giving his full effort. You saw him dive all the ground for loose balls, which I don't really like Dame doing, but I I'm not gonna hate on the effort. But he has definitely taken defense and made it more personal. And that's why I think he's going to make the all-star team this year, as opposed to getting uh, uh, skipped over. So I, I think he's going to get it. This may sound sacrilegious, but I think too much emphasis is put on being on a winning team when it comes to making an all-star. I'm looking at his stats from 2014 and 2015, his two all-star appearances. You know, solid 21 points, six assists, similar shooting percentages. Dame did that on stacked rosters. He's averaging five more points per game now, and his, his numbers are, are staying similar uh, across the board. And he's done that over the course of his, his six-year career, and he's doing that now as the face of the franchise. And if, if you're saying winning matters more than everything— we're in the fucking playoff chase. I don't know what else coaches and fans and media c could want from this guy. Because, Sage, I'm telling you, if he gets left off and I'm seeing Draymond Green and Clay Thompson 
and guys who are on that that warrior team make the all-star team over Dame, it's bullshit. Are those players good? Yes, they're very good players. Are they facing the the number one, number two defenders every night? Of course not. Is there pressure on them? Of course not. They do not have to do a t- they don't have to do a tenth of the responsibilities that that Damian Lillard has for for the Trailblazers. Yeah, because we're we're the Sacramento Kings. If Dame's not being Damian Lillard, we are Absolutely. we are a trash bag team. So. The fact that he makes us even respectable is amazing, and I, you know what? Congratulations to him for uh, having. I mean, the uh, announcement of his child. I mean, great. That's awesome for him. Shining that game against the Mavericks, he he was on another level, and it might be the fact that he's gonna have his first child. That new dad glove. That new. And I think we would do our uh, listeners a disservice. What did you think of the cornball Stephen A. Smith doing his rant about we gotta trade Dame, blah blah blah? He's doing him a disservice. So Stephen A. Smith is. I'm trying not to be too mean here. Stephen A. Smith is a moron. He always has been especially when it comes to the Trailblazers. There are clips of him on ESPN during that 2006 draft ripping Portland a new one, shredding us to pieces about who we're drafting, Brandon and LaMarcus, what are we doing? We have no idea what we're doing. The next year, when we have the number one pick, praising us. Oh, we can't do no wrong. Look how great that draft was. They're going to add Odin. This team's going to be amazing. He is the, uh, the epitome of a prisoner of the moment. Mm. He will do anything for shock value. That's why you can't take him seriously because he's just doing it to get hits. And it's, it's bullshit. Dame does not need to demand to be traded. I don't think he is in his DNA to like, no, he raps about loyalty. Exactly. But we are competing for a playoff spot. I would totally get all of this. Hey, if we were, you know, a lottery bound team with all of this talent, all of this money invested. But surprise I mean, we're getting wins and we're playing and getting wins and sixth seed right now is nothing to sneeze at, because isn't that the ultimate spot if we're talking about the playoffs? If the playoffs ended today, we're playing the Spurs, right? They're tied with the the Timberwolves, so I think we want to be fifth or sixth. I think we would have a good chance by beating either team. Okay. So no, I I I think I mean with journalism in sports media right now, do saying all that hot take stuff is what is hot. And he is doing what, you know, ESPN wants with saying all this outlandish stuff. The fact that Oklahoma City is probably gonna have two all stars, New Orleans. No, no. Okay, see, there's no way. Okay, Oklahoma City has one, and that's a smaller market. New Orleans is definitely a smaller market than Portland. And they have two. And and Giannis Giannis is in Milwaukee. There are small market teams having all-stars. So that that point in his, his argument is just false, saying that Portland's such a small market that the fans don't support him. It's just like, nah. 
we do. It's just everyone else is is tripping. He's he's definitely an all star. Also, I get the sense that Blazer fans just don't about all star voting. We 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 know it doesn't matter. So sure, we could go out there and get him an extra hundred thousand votes, and yeah, it, it looks nice that he's above Lonzo Ball, but he's still going to be three hundred four hundred thousand dollar four hundred thousand votes short of starting so we know deep down that it just it doesn't matter i mean was drexler the only fan voted all-star yes so and he he was like the number two guard in the league so it's gonna take a lot for the fans to vote our way so it, it really was uh you know the the reserves I, I personally saw a lot of people upset that he wasn't a starter. Yeah, we, we knew that wasn't going to happen. But we look at the five. There's Steph as the captain, Harden, uh, KD, Boogie, and AD as the five. Who who are your remaining seven? Not who you think, who are your remaining seven all-stars? Uh, Russell, I think Cat deserves it. I guess LaMarcus has to just because he's a, on an elite team. So that's eight, right? That's three. Yeah, you got five more. Maybe Jimmy? Yep. I don't think Chris deserves it because he was hurt so much. I think Dame definitely needs to be in there. Mm-hmm. So you got three more. It's tough. Um, let me think. Am I leaving out any, like, obvious ones? I mean, if I'm going to give you my list, I have these exact same five as you as well. I think... I think the Warriors deserve three, not four. So Dre or Clay, take your pick. I would probably go Draymond. I think he's much more vital to that team. And so if I have two more spots to go. See, that's where it's it's tough. Like I'm struggling at the at the eleventh and twelfth, and Dame is firmly in there for me. Mm-hmm. Even if you give the Rockets or the, the Warriors four, he's still there. So that that last wild card, um, maybe Paul George, even though I just kind of threw a fit earlier because I'm just not seeing it. I don't think Denver gets anyone. I don't think Jokic has played that well this season. Blue Williams, potentially? Uh, that See, that would be like, you look back at the All-Stars and you're like, ooh, that's the Jamal McGlure of All-Stars. <laughs> I, re- I remember that year. I remember that year pretty well, actually. Like, Yeah, he's playing hot right now, but... But maybe. But as long as Dane makes it... I don't really care as long as he makes it. Exactly. When did, When is it announced? When is the... I think it's Tuesday or Thursday, right? <laughs> that shows how much we care. I mean, yo, we're gonna know when that shit's announced. I mean, Blazers Twitter will be all over it telling us when. Tomorrow, we are recording this Sunday night. Tomorrow, Monday, at 6pm, we are playing the Denver Nuggets in Denver. We are playing... Oh god, my internet. Uh Minnesota again on the twenty fourth. Dallas again. And is that it for the week or we only have That's 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 it for the All week. Alright. I think it's gotta be a two in one week minimum. Minimum. You know, like it's easy like it's easy to say Nurk's gonna go crazy against Jokic. He hates Jokic. But that last game, Jokic did whatever he wanted against us, and Nurk looked supremely overmatched. Do you think he's going to 
say, screw this, I am not letting this man dominate me again. And we're going to see the dominant, angry bear of a man, Yosef Nurkic, or do you think he's going to get timid again? The one thing to keep in mind, and Neela brought this up on last week's episode, who was always there for, for Nurk to pick him up? Who was always there for Nurk to fire him up? Who always has Nurk's back? I'm, I'm thinking Dame Dawa. Dame Dawa. Who was not present in that second Denver game? Oh, shit, he wasn't. Yeah, Damien. He, he was out. Dame is back, and he's playing his best basketball of the season. And that is going to be the ultimate X factor. With that, we have Damian Lillard because he is the one player, coach or or the one personnel in the franchise that can get Nurk going. I don't know what it is. I think he is just a special, special talent that has every intangible you would want in a franchise player. But he can get Nurk going. Mm-hmm. And I think definitely the respect that Nurk has for him as well gets him going. Exactly. And you know he's going to be in his ear saying, you let that dude punk you last time? You saw what happened? We we got dropped by 17 points without me? You guys couldn't win? You know, I saw that first game. You dominated. You wish them You wished a happy summer last year. This is going to be your return game to Denver. You know the boobers are going to be out. Are you going to feast on that? Like, I think Dame's going to, like, Play a little bit of mind games with Nurk. Get him going because we have to have him go big. We have to have him dominate that paint because that's where our main advantage is. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love our, our backcourt against theirs. I just don't believe in Jamal Murray as a point guard. I think he's a fabulous player, but that franchise desperately needs a point guard. And Portland can win those, those battles. But I think... When you're looking at matchups across the board, the biggest discrepancy in strength and weakness is the size of Nurkic against against Jokic and the the Denver front court. I, I think that he has to be the X factor this game because I, I think it's a, a given that our guards are just going to dominate their matchups. If Jokic can get what he wants, like he did that last game, he was doing Dirk fadeaway threes against Nurk. It was not a pretty matchup. So if he if Nurk can get focused, get ready for that game and abuse him, the Denver Nuggets aren't going to have an answer for our guards wrecking havoc. I I I think a matchup that might be fun for for, for me is seeing the Aminu versus Trey Lyles three-point battle because Lyles is not afraid to shoot those threes up, and you know Chief's all about that. Absolutely. Two other things to note. One, can we please not let Wilson Chandler go off? He fe- he is a low-key blazer killer. He had 21-11 on 8-15 shooting in the 102-85 Denver victory. Wasn't he uh, posting back- up Evan Turner on the block? Like, I... I- Remember him getting a lot of post plays, and I think it was ET just getting uh kind of spanked in that matchup. Or am I wrong? Because I I kind of tried to block that game out, but I remember Chandler doing whatever he wanted. As did Jokic, who had twenty seven nine boards and six assists. Um, Portland needs to do a better job on those guys, definitely. And then the the second thing is. Can Portland get 
production from their bench. Mm-hmm. This was a game also where they decided to fuck it. Let's start Jake Lehman. Dame's not playing. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Like, let's be real. We knew the game was probably not going to go our way once we saw that starting lineup. No disrespect to you, Jake. Um, you know, I know you're not listening, but that's not a good sign when when Jake Lehman is, is starting. It's a good sign when he's in the game at the end because it means, you know, we've got uh, the quote-unquote closers in there and they're doing their thing as we, you know, are stomping our way to victory. But this is, this might be the biggest game of the season, in my opinion. And hear me out. I say this because if Portland wins this game, they have a really good shot at at least tying the season series because we've already played twice in Portland. We have to play twice in Denver the rest of the year. And the number one tiebreaker, neither team's probably going to win the division. So the second tiebreaker is head to head. And Portland traditionally does not play well in Denver. It doesn't matter if we were the the 12 deep Blazers of 2000 and the Nuggets were, you know, perpetually in the lottery. They always gave us hell in, in the mile high city. So it's a tough place for Portland to win, and I just don't see a better opportunity for Portland to do that than Monday night. You still have Paul Millsap on the shelf, injured. You have Portland playing some of their best ball of this, all ball of the season, and you know, knock on wood, everyone is healthy. This game, I think, could make a three and zero week for Portland, and if they lose, it could make it a one and two week. Mm-hmm. Definitely, it's. It's just so important that they come and play hard. And again, I know we've said this time and time again this year. How are they going to react on the road? Or, you know, when they came home after that that 4 and one road trip, they completely laid an egg and they lost, I think, that four straight home games. They've won three straight. What are they going to do? Are they going to show up with Denver with them? Because it's just a one-game trip. This isn't a, this isn't a long road trip. This is just a quick stop. How are they going to react? Like we we don't know. I mean, you could tell me we're going to win by twenty or lose by forty, and I would say either answer is probably just as correct. I also think we need to stop the thrill. It seems like Will Barton good, plays his best games against us. It might be because we traded him, but you never know. But he. I remember he got wherever he wanted those first two games. But I could he's he's very creative and he's worked on his shot, which props to him for actually doing that. But I think that Ben if we're gonna win this game, we gotta stop that bench. And Will Barton is the engine of the second unit for the for the Nuggets. So stopping the thrill. Denver does have the fifth best home record in the NBA. It's going to be tough. Sage, what's your prediction? I think Nurk puts his tryhard pants on and dominates Joker just because of all of the factors. He hates Jokic. He hates Mike Malone. I'm pretty sure he's not the biggest fan of uh, of all the Denver faithful. I think he's going to feed off all that hate and gonna be the uh the the bear that you know we've we we've wanted him to be. So I'm going I'm going Blazers victory. Against better judgment, I'm going Blazers victory as well. 
I think if there's a time to beat Denver, it is now because of the reasons listed, you know, previously. I think Nurk's going to have a big night and Dame is just playing so well right now. I, I think he's really locked in. He and CJ seem to be in, in quite a bit of a groove. And if we can just really make them play for playing Mason Plumley, and I mean that both ways on the court, when they're on offense, let him just roam. Let Plumley do whatever you want and try to disrupt a Denver offense that really has a center as their best distributor. And when Plumley is on defense, go at him. You know, we're probably going to have a smaller big in there with uh, like a menu. Can he stretch the floor? Can he leave the paint open? Because if you're pulling Plumley out there and Yerk's already down low, if you run that screen roll, there should be a lot of open bodies down there. And what I love about Dame, he also said this post game with, with Brooke, he was really hot. He had 27 through three quarters and coming to the bench, uh, he said that Shabazz told him, hey, you're getting a lot of attention. Don't be afraid to dish it off because guys are wide open. And that's what he did. He ended up with nine assists and really only scored four points the rest of the night because he was looking to be a distributor. So Dame is a guy who is going to read the coverages. He takes advice from his teammates. And I think if we can get him going, the whole team will start rolling. So I'd like Portland to win that game. It sets up another huge divisional showdown Wednesday the 24th against the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves are 2-0 against us this year. Both games uh, in Minnesota. One, Portland just gave away uh, early in December. The other one was pretty recently, a couple of Sundays ago. I think it was actually last Sunday, where we had a horrible second quarter and the game just completely got away from us. What does Portland have to do to knock off arguably the hottest team in the Western Conference right now? I think we have to keep up with their starting five because they put a lot of pressure on that five. Normally, Jamal Crawford doesn't go for 30 like he did that first game. And our bench has to contribute in their own ways, whether it be Ed Davis crashing the board and putting up that fight all the time, being tricky. Um, Pat Connaughton stretching the floor. Shabazz controlling it. I mean... He's just so great. He's just a pest defensively. If we can be aggressive and just have our bench contribute, I think we have a chance to win this game. This one's tough, though, just because of what Minnesota has is length. And we're not the best dealing with teams that have length two through five. That's not really our cup of tea because, I mean... We got short guards. Our, our two, top two guys are 6'3", and they got guys that have long arms and can, are athletic and could play defense if they so choose to. This game also sets a precedence, I think. You do not want to let a divisional foe go up 3-0 on a season series, especially a divisional foe who you could potentially see in the first round of the playoffs. You do not want to give them that mental advantage over you. and. I think Portland just has to do this is a hustle board game. Rebounds, blocks, steals. They have to want it more. I think Minnesota on paper is probably a more talented team. But you're in your home gym, you've won six in a row. 
you have to, they're in the middle of a road trip. You just, you have to want it more. I think your bench has to play better. You should never get outplayed on your home court bench versus bench. Bench guys always play better at home. That means we need, like you said, Pat, Shabazz, Ed, those guys outplaying Jamal Crawford. It would be great if Jamal Crawford would have a bad game against the Blazers for once in his life. I mean, that would just make me tickled, tickled pink. But if you're looking at a player who has kind of been a thorn in our sides early on in this, this season, you have to look at Jimmy Butler. I mean, he took 11 shots and got 24 points. He went to the line 11 times. I mean, they took 33 free throws compared to 17 last time we played. So Portland has to do a better job of defending without fouling and being aggressive and not just relying on the three-point shot. I mean, we shot 11 of 25, nearly 50%, and still got ran out of the gym by 17 points. I mean, you could not have a second quarter like Portland did going down 26 to 10, just losing that quarter by by a 16-point margin. So... Against again, against better judgment, I think Portland finds a way. Like there's just something to do with a home team, the bench, especially if you're coming off of a victory against Denver. They have to know this is a big game. They they let one slip away already this season, and they played one of their worst quarters of the year uh, the next time around. They have to want this game, and this this has to be a Nurk game too. Like Nurk has to match Towns. I think Dame has to abuse. Jeff Teague, and we haven't really gotten a big CJ game against the Timberwolves this year. If our backcourt comes to play, I mean, that's one thing we did really well against the Timberwolves last year is we did a great job against uh, Andrew Wiggins, and it usually came with CJ defending him, but with Jimmy Butler coming in, it's moved Wiggins. I think they, they split time between the two and the three, and I don't know. It's maybe just a gut instinct, but maybe Chief has a big night. I, I, I'm very interested to see who establishes their brand of basketball. Like, I think an interesting matchup is Taj Gibson versus Chief. Because if if Chief can make Taj work, it helps us so much. Because Taj gets those rebounds. He gets those hustle yeah, plays. If we can Chief negate has got him, to box out. Yeah, if he, we can negate Taj Gibson and then our guards get some boards and contribute that way, I think it goes, and it, it contributes a lot towards our victory. I, on the other hand, don't think we're going to win this one. It just seems like a lofty a lofty goal for us to go to Denver and then beat Minnesota. So I, I think uh, Minnesota is the less, the less likely W. So I think they might. So much for, be- so much for being I, positive. I know. I, so much. It's all gone. Not the window. It's been an hour ten, dog. I, I I tried, <laughs> and when it came, and it mattered most, you folded Sage and you went pessimistic. On I'm you. sorry. I, I I'm I'm sorry, but it okay. They gotta show up, up me. Next. They gotta show me that they can they can get that W. They've had a little bit of trouble is, finishing is games. What you said last week, they gotta show you. Well, they did. What else do you want from them? From Sage? Minnesota. I mean, if they can get the W versus Minnesota. You might see positive sage more often. All right. Last on the week's docket is another uh, rematch with the Dallas Mavericks, this time down in Big D. 
this has to be a victory. I think at this point in the season, we have already let our fair share of games slip through mm-hmm. our fingers that we should have won. Port- Portland's got to win this game. There's no ifs, ifs, ands, or buts. And I think the scuffles towards the end of the the game on Saturday can either help or hinder Portland. Mm-hmm. It could help them by actually realizing that Dallas is an actual opponent and they can beat them. Or it can hurt them because... Dallas is going to take that and Rick Carlisle is going to, you know, Rick Carlisle is going to use that as motivation and try to get these guys even more amped up because Dallas will not fold. And Dallas is not an arena that we have traditionally performed well in. We, it took, I think a game winner from CJ last year to beat them in that, that gym. You know, it's crazy. Like you see JJ Barea and he contributes at like age 55. I think he can run a pick and roll in his seventies. Just him doing, that play it's like damn he he can really run it and he he when he was in he was contributing like he you saw him get a few middies off on the the pick and roll a few pocket passes shout out to him he he's still contributing at his age and his height i kind of am feeling a blazer blowout i know it's, it's rough to sit on someone else's court but i think the scuffles and the argument and the, you know, the soccer fight and a Dallas player showing up at the at, at our door. You know what? I think we're going to use all that energy and, you know, anger and blow them out. And I think this is going to be an Evan Turner night. He matches up very well. against. This is the team where he can just dominate because he's so much bigger than Steph Curry or whomever they're trying to throw at him. Seth Curry? Yes. But Seth Curry didn't even play last game. I was trying to think of random guards that are small on that team. Well, they have Yogi Ferrell. They have J.J. Barea. They have uh, Devin Harris. Um, Dennis Smith. So they've got their fair share of, of, of smaller, yeah, smaller they, like, guards. But E.T. can definitely bully ball the hell out of that team. You know, E.T. had 17 points on you know over 50% shooting and for the most part took some good shots and made good decisions so if he has a big night typically we play play pretty well so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go blazers victory i think dennis smith jr is the best point guard out of this draft but he's not ready to hang with with dame yet and i think cj is gonna want to get yogi ferrell on another victim's unit and i think this is just a game taylor made for the blazer backcourt on the road to keep the crowd quiet and Again, the X factor is going to be first quarter. Are we going to come out and set the tempo? Are we going to let Dallas dictate it? Are we going to fall behind and try to play catch up? If we can just set the tone right from the get-go and let them know tonight's not going to be your night. I, I like Portland to have a 3-0, 3-0 trip that sets up more big games coming up before the trade deadline. I'm a, I'm a 2-1 guy. I want to shout out Neela Madison for A being on the show last week but you know her support for the show is really awesome and i would like to thank her on the pod you know give us a a subscription leave us a rating a five-star rating please leave us a comment uh you can find this podcast at holy backboard pdx on stitcher soundcloud google play and itunes we're also on social um, at Holy Backboard on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So give us a, a follow there. And Sage, any last last words? Follow me on uh, 
at the sage on twitter and that's it go blazers let's get this this three and a week three and oh more positive sage let's go wherever you may be this is bill shinley good night everybody let's go